Chapter 3 of Joaquin the Claude Duval of California. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Joaquin the Claude Duval of California, or The Marauder of the Mines, a Romance Founded on Truth by Henry L. Williams. Chapter 3. As the first days of the spring of 52 came on, Joaquin and his band descended from the highlands with nearly 300 horses stolen during the rainy season. Taking care only to travel by night, they led this drove through the southern part of the state into the province of Sonora. On their return after a few weeks, the depredators pitched their headquarters in the magnificent country of the richest pastures known as Arroyo Cantuva. It was a vale of seven or eight thousand acres in extent, well watered and enclosed all around by a belt of mountains which had no other gap than one, where the plunderers could hold an army at check. This fertile hollow is situated between the passes of Pacheco and Tejon, east of the main range that was west of Tulan Lake. Wholly hidden by the pile of rock, it formed a refuge all the more sure from no dwelling being within fifty leagues. Game abounded there. The grizzly often clattered with his long claws over the granite. Deer, antelopes, bighorns, mountain sheep, the pretty plumed California quails, woodcocks, and a whole series of lesser animals seemingly put there for the food of man. Hence, as far as eating went, thieves had a good time of it. Under the spreading foliage of a clump of evergreens, the young chief fixed his cabin. More than once he was to be seen in the cool of a fine day reclining on the carpet of verdant sward which nature had smoothly laid over the floor that Eden. By his side was a young woman, fair and affectionate, of whom he had made the conquest in his late visit to Sonora. Clarina, for that was her name, was the daughter of Don Sebastian Vallero, a grandee of Spain who, after having impoverished himself through his excessive prodigality, had withdrawn to Mexico with a modest remnant of his fortune, where he had purchased a piece of ground quite near the rancho of Joaquin's father. The first time that the girl was led into contact with the youth, though he was but fifteen and she ten then, she could not help admiring, for the girls are women very early under thirty degrees north latitude, the graceful figure and alluring face of Joaquin, as well as the ease and elegance with which he managed his half-wild horse. Every time that they met, she could not help gazing on him in passion akin to worship. But the youth's large blue eyes only answered with an indifferent glance, a shade mocking, and the bright red flush of his cheeks did not have so pure a cause as the gentle but deep blush that suffused her features. The poor little romantic thing had felt her heart leap often and often again while reading the old tales of the knights errant, and her governess had only fed her poetical learning by teaching her many of the favorite ballads and legends of antique Spain. A couple that were all the time rising to her lips and her perfumed breath were, while his hand lightly struck the mandolin, came singing so joyful the troubadour. Spared from Saracen's blades in Palestine, I turned my love like a hawk to the lure. 
and at the door of her grand house stood the gentle damosel, spying with her great black eyes the youths who loved her so well. While she watched every morning the departure of Joaquin and his fellows, nothing was easier for Clarina to imagine than that the party was one of Chevalier's going out to battle. But on the return, it was impossible for her to fancy that it was her love's esquire, that the young man who brought no trophies to her and was far from coming to kneel at her feet. Grief and melancholy overcame her, and tears obscured the diamond luster of her eyes in which they swam till dropping from the long lashes, roses she had gathered, for him who never held out a finger for them, fell to her feet while her hand, empty of them, rose to her bosom. So she sorrowed, unable to tell or even hint at her emotion. Some years later, as Joaquin was on the point of quitting the paternal roof with the young woman of his choice and was bidding farewell to his friends and relations, Clarina, her heart ready to burst with sadness, thrust a gold ring on Joaquin's finger and, as he looked at her startled and inquiry, she, like a woman, ran away to her room to seek relief in prayer and tears. Joaquin saw in this jewel merely the mark of friendship intended for his wife, and he hastened to hand it over to her. But, perceiving that the circlet seemed to be one of those precious talismans to which Castilian nobles attach such value, Carmela refused it and begged her husband to wear it for her sake. The trinket may have some virtue unknown to us, and perhaps will be a shield in some hour of peril, she said superstitiously. Joaquin smiled incredulously at the time, but he never gave over wearing the asserted charm until the fatal hour preceding his death. Once, however, he did forget it, and that was the day on which he was so shamefully treated at Murphy's diggings. The gem had been left in his room among other jewelry in a casket. Since then, Joaquin, obeying the promptings of superstition, could not doubt that the little round had in verity power to preserve him from dangers. When Joaquin went home, he spent the first day and the morning of the next in visits to old neighbors to whom he could naturally make many rich presents out of his store of stolen goods. As soon as the heat of the day was over, and the exquisite hours came when the feeling of the shade of the woods can only be expressed by the words, just right, Joaquin strolled into the forest to treat himself to the reawakening of pleasant memories. He gazed, enchanted, on the endless clumps of different cactus, on the nopals in blossom, on palmettos, pines, cedars, oaks, dogwoods, on pond lilies, rushes, reeds, and all the varieties of grass befringing the waters of Capivi Creek. Its now rapid running current washed the luxuriantly budded sides with its backwaters and reflected the taller trees in its depths. Myriads of birds, most brightly feathered, hovered overhead, darting from side to side, fluttered close to the ground, or sprang from bough to bough in the scented air that mingled its odors with a multitude of songs. Every now and then a long fish, pursued by same chuckle-headed, bristling-jawed enemy eager for dinner, would spring out of the eddy and glitter in a slanting sunbeam, silver-white, golden-yellow, or steel-blue. And sometimes a hawk or an eagle, though oftener the kingfisher, 
would give a scream that sent all the youngsters scuttling under cover, and after a sweep or two, drop like a heaven-shot dart, skim the ruffled whirls and streaks, and rise into the air once more, with a luckless wriggling plate of silver, hooked and nailed by the beak. The woodpeckers were at work in the far-off, everywhere tattooing trees to come at the grubs. Joaquin felt, gradually stealing over him, a forgetfulness of the immediate past, but a strengthening of boyhood's recollection. He pelted the screaming birds with pebbles, perhaps valuable, for Sonora has wonders yet to unfold, listened enraptured to the warbling of others, snapped off a cluster of berries here, sliced a fruit there, drank at a spring, leapt over stones, swung himself by creepers, and carried on like a boy, in a word. No one would ever have believed him a bandit chief. He had left the stream unconsciously, and, desirous of regaining it, he let himself yield to a species of fit of sprightliness, and ran at full speed down an open hill upon the very bank. He was just able to pull up short there and not take an unpremeditated dive, when a half-suppressed scream, as if caused by the swish of the pebbles which his feet had shot into the ripple, attracted his eyes to the other side. It is unnecessary to say that those eyes, thither drawn, were riveted there in ravishment. A young girl had raised that cry of surprise. She had been dressing and was half-attired on the wavelet's edge when he had made the rush to the place. So he saw in disarray, trembling but fascinated to the spot, a female form youthful and beautiful. Face, neck, and arms darker than the rest of the faultlessly proportioned frame, but that of a warm, tempting tint. Fine and delicate features, magnificent black hair, but not as silky as it might be, for the sun seemed to have robbed it of gloss. Eyes superior to Indians or Mexicans, velvety in their pupil somehow or other at the same time as liquid and lustrous, the pearly teeth revealed from the mouth being parted with surprise, most lithesome of forms, a child's feet and hands, all more than half uncovered. That's the picture that appeared to Joaquin. Only for the briefest space, though, for the scream was repeated, and catching up the rest of her apparel, the beauty darted into the wood. So suddenly was she seen, so briefly viewed, so abruptly gone, that the young man almost doubted his vision. But the floating of a scarf and some other parts of attire dropped in the fugitive's haste were proofs of the reality. "'By heaven, I must see her again,' muttered Joaquin." As he spoke, he kicked off his riding boots, flung them over the creek, wound his blanket around him to shield his pistols, and such a vigorous spring into the water that he cleared the line separating the side toe from the main line. It was hard swimming in the current, and the delay it caused him in reaching the other shore, as well as a coolness which the stream running under the trees, rather than laying under the sun, possessed, set him thinking of the two or three splashes he heard round and about him. It'll look well for Joaquin the terror of the miners to be dragged under by a caiman or stung by a water snake, muttered he, redoubling his efforts. He reached land presently. The black spots on the surface that had caused him anxiety were only bits of rotten limbs tumbled in from trees. 
He ran along breast-deep into the whirls till he recovered the objects. Silk and first-rate, muttered he, examining the scarf. No common girl, then. I wonder who she is. So lovely, caramba. She didn't have her feet covered, poor little dear, and I think I'll find her near. He trailed the fugitive for a short ways, but lost the track. Damn, if her steps ain't light as air, he murmured. I say, friend, young lady, senorita, I am a gentleman, won't hurt you. Here, here. But no answer came to his calls. A little chilled by the soaking he had got, though his pistols had not been wetted through the blanket, he, grumbling at the vanished one's fear, but reveling in remembrance of her beauty, was slowly tracing his route through the underwood, when a shriek, most intense and far-reaching, came to his ears. "'The deuce! Can some of my rascals be loose and met her?' cried he, frowning and laying his hand upon his weapons. Like a dart, he flew through thorns and creepers. At last he saw the white drapery of the beauty who was dressed now. But, most singularly, she was not looking back at him, though she could hardly help hearing his swift coming. She stood firm as a statue, but quivering like a leaf, her limbs close together, her body drawn back, one arm across her bosom and the fingers half veiling some awful thing from her view, while the other hand was put forward outside of that to repel the same cause of dread. Courage, said Joaquin, suspecting the whole, and advancing less noisily, though no less rapidly. A dark round line twisted into the form of an S with an extra curl at the foot of it, terminating at a wiry point, and another flourish at the top, bearing a head with spiteful beads of glaring eyes and a vibrating tongue, rested itself upon a rotted plantain leaf. It eyed the girl, and she it. At the sound of the man's steps, the serpent moved, altered its S into an upside-down J, and was about to disappear. A low ah of relief escaped from the girl's lips. No, you don't, cried Joaquin, springing forward. The reptile stopped, then turned its head fearlessly around and darted out its shiny red tongue, as much as to say it made no difference at all whether it was asked to stay or was let go on. No, no, exclaimed the girl, finding speech, and laying her hand on Joaquin's arm. It's a moccasin snake. But the young man shook off the gentle hold, fell upon one knee within two yards of the serpent, and leveled the revolver which he had drawn. The snake drew its folds calmly and lengthened its wavy tongue more and more. Joaquin saw what was coming, but seemed to be too sure of his triumphing to care for that. Quick! The girl uttered in horror as she saw the deadly animal move, but her words were drowned by a sharp report. The moccasin, received in the very act of springing by the bullet and a line of fire and smoke, fell to the ground, the tail half perfect enough, but the head and the rest blown into pieces which blackened and spotted the leaves and ground. That snake was harmless henceforth, for the poison bag even had been burst to nothing. Now, the rescued girl was Clarina. Fancy the walk towards home of the two. She had remarked, first thing, that her ring was upon her deliverer's finger, and she did not hesitate to jump at the conclusion that he loved her. 
So she confessed the state of her heart at the opening of their conversation. While Joaquin had been in California, he had kept his family informed of most of what happened to him and his so that Clarina was aware of his wife being dead and, moreover, that he had become a notorious bandit. But, notwithstanding his undoubtedly criminal career, Clarina was enamored of him still. He, for his part, had been inspired with his glimpse of her bathing, that he yielded to her influence and found it no hard matter to throw himself at her knees and declare that his first love was only a died-away passion, and that this time was the first that he knew what true affection was. Hence the two are found by us, seated on the moss and grass under the trees of Arroyo Canduva. Carmela's name was already forgotten, and all her tenderness, faithfulness, and devotion were banished from the robber's mind. After several weeks spent at their headquarters, Joaquin divided his troops, then composed of seventy-five, into detachments of which he gave commands to Valenzuela, Luis Guerrera, and Three-Fingered Jack, sending them to fall upon certain points. Their order was to employ their time solely in running off horses and mules, his attention being to put into execution a plan of his that required from 1,500 to 2,000 of the cattle. He started off himself in another direction, accompanied by Renardo, Felix, Juan Cardoza, and Pedro Gonzalez. Three women disguised as men and well-armed like their escorts form part also of this company. The first was Clarina, and the others the respective mistresses of Felix and Gonzalez. All were admirably mounted. None except the chief knew the aim of their course. On arriving at Mocolumne Hill, Calaveras County, they mingled with the Mexicans who dwelt there, all of whom were friendly as a matter of course, and when they went the rounds of the gaming hells or traversed the streets, it was impossible to distinguish them from the more honest inhabitants of the place. The women reassumed the habiliments of their sex and behaved themselves so excessively well that they became almost wonders on that account. The men went out on expeditions every little while on their splendid horses and always made a long circuit before returning to their rendezvous. Joaquin had the semblance of a gambler in high feather as his nocturnal rovings gave him the means to appear. This was April 1852. Meanwhile, the other divisions were pursuing ardently their mission in different quarters and Joaquin found in the papers, the humble parents of the well-conducted enterprising journals of the present day, full accounts and pleasing ones to him of how ranches had been rid of stock to a great extent. Besides, the public sheets did not hesitate to lay the whole on his shoulders. In the different murders and thefts in which he had taken a personal part, he had always appeared under disguises from which it resulted that he never less resembled his masks than when he was the Simon Pure. Indeed, the man who had a good look at him on the highway would have been unable to point finger at him in a crowd in a town. Often he had mixed in with a group and overheard excited conversations in which he alone was talked of. Many a secret laugh he enjoyed at the suppositions he caught of his appearance manner of living and designs. After having given as much time to Mokolumni Hill as he had intended, 
Preparations were made to leave it on the 1st of May. About midnight, while the horses were being got ready and the women put on men's clothes and the rest of the arrangements being completed, Joaquin made a farewell trip into the gambling dens and drinking houses, which were only too plenty in the rough days of the discovery. He was taking his ease at a monte table on which he had carelessly cast a small sum to kill time, when all of a sudden his attention was attracted from the painted pasteboard to a corner, where he heard his name pronounced distinctly. His gaze stopped on four or five men who were warmly, but in a low tone, discussing the doings of the miner's murderer. There was one of them, a tall, well-built fellow, a dagger knife and a revolver of the newest style in his belt, his trousers stuffed into huge cowhide boots that seemed to tell of the overland route, who was perhaps the loudest voiced. "'Look a-here, boys,' said he. "'You all know me as Jack Gabriel, and they all know me up and down both banks of the Washita from the Louisiana border up. I'm good for three ounces, ain't I? Of course I am.' Well, I'll down with that dust to anyone who will set me to face with this blank, blank, blank Joaquin. As these words were uttered, the audacious outlaw jumped up on the table, sending the different leaves of the Devil's Prayer Book on the tobacco floor a little promiscuously, and the money along with it, for which half a dozen heads instantly bobbed down threw his breast open by drawing aside his vest, held a cap revolver with a hammer set in his right hand, and shouted, Keep the stand. I am Joaquin. Fire if you dare. Notwithstanding the defiance, the young adventurer was not such a fool as not to take advantage of the general confusion that prevailed for the moment. He pulled a serape around him quickly, took a grand flying leap from the table, which was smashed under the oncoming boots of Arkansas Jack, and slipping through the doors, jumped upon his horse. There was some delay, given his followers from their own haste jamming them in the doorway, and all they could do was to jerk up their hands and try a salute of snapshots at the gallopers, but he had the luck to escape a single scratch and the only satisfaction that his enemies received in exchange for their wasted DuPont superfine granulated was a yell of defiant, shrill, and prolonged that echoed in the night air. End of chapter 3